0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage.
1: Representative Peter DeFazio of Oregon is the chairman of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. He joins Washington Post Live to share mounting concerns in Congress over the Taliban's takeover in Afghanistan, the latest on the bipartisan infrastructure deal, and the Biden administration's approach to those negotiations. Let's listen.
0: Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Jackie Alimany, a congressional correspondent and author of the Power Up early morning newsletter here at the Post. Thanks for joining us today. My guest is Oregon Congressman Peter DeFazio, the powerful chairman of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, which is key to President Biden's infrastructure proposal. We're gonna talk about that in a moment, but first we're going to discuss the latest developments in Afghanistan with the Taliban now firmly running that country. Welcome to Washington Post Live, Congressman DeFazio.
1: Thanks, Jackie. Appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate
0: you. Yeah, and I know you are very busy drafting uh, the uh, parts of the reconciliation bill, so we really do appreciate you making the time for us. Um, But the major story we're seeing in the news right now is the collapse of the Afghan government and takeover by the Taliban. How much blame do you think President Biden deserves for that country falling into Taliban hands in such a short time frame?
1: Well, I kind of went back and looked. Uh, Trump, April, getting out of Afghanistan, a wonderful, positive thing to do, uh, chastising Biden for not doing it more quickly. And then earlier, Trump said uh, uh, he was bragging about how he started the withdrawal process and claimed the Biden administration is powerless to stop it. He cut the deal with the Taliban uh and biden was handed that it's the right decision to get out uh we stayed way too long uh in fact uh you know I mean, we did not look at uh, history uh the british empire the soviet union uh you know my brother's an expert in that region actually intelligence services and he said after we took out the original taliban he said okay time to leave build a big monument tell them they messed with us and uh, we came we conquered And if they mess with us again, we'll come back, but don't stay. And uh, he was right. Uh, We spent an amazing amount of money trying to uh, build a military in our image. It doesn't fit their culture, the warlord culture, uh, anything. uh, It was inappropriate. And essentially, with what the Post revealed last year and uh, things that are coming out now, we were lied to just like during Vietnam, even though Rummy uh, poo-pooed the idea that this would be like Vietnam at the beginning. Uh, we've been lied to consistently for years about the capabilities or the possibility of the Afghans actually defending themselves. And now, uh, with the, their abject uh, surrender, uh, the Taliban is better armed than ever with U.S. weapons. Uh, it's a tragedy. But it uh, it was inevitable. Uh, it was inevitable when Bush diverted us from Afghanistan and we had all our allies there. Even Iran was supporting us. Uh, and when when we originally went in after Al Qaeda and Osama bin Laden, but when they diverted to Iraq, the die was cast.
0: Right, and I hear you, Congressman. Lots of blame here over the, the course of the past few decades, including um, four different presidencies: uh, George Bush, President Obama, um, President Trump, who did negotiate that agreement with the Taliban, and, and, and now President Biden. But I'm wondering, you know, the circumstances of the withdrawal. What we've seen has been Really, uh, pure chaos and a scrambling—you know—government to evacuate not only U.S. citizens but our Afghan allies. Do you think that mm-hmm. they could have done anything better to mitigate this chaos that we're seeing right now?
1: Um, yes, perhaps if we'd had better intel uh, and it started uh, six weeks or two months ago before we started uh, before the uh, Afghan government started losing major provincial capitals, we could have moved people. Uh, to uh, a safe place, Uh, moved them to Kabul and now moved them to the airport. Uh, And for the people at the airport and the people that can access the airport, the people who are allies of the U.S., um, you know, they need to cut the red tape and get those people out. Uh, And we need to do as best as we can to provide for safe passage to the airport for those people. You know, this broke my brother's heart. He was in Vietnam. His interpreter saved his life. His blood pressure was something over zero when he got medevaced. Uh, And he tried for years to get his interpreter out, couldn't do it. Uh, And this is gonna break the hearts of a lot of our troops uh, who put everything on the line, a lot of our diplomats uh, and others who worked uh, with these Afghans who helped us uh, to try and uh, change the course of history in their country and were unsuccessful. So we have to do more and do better. And it should have started sooner, but that's at this point, that's uh, that's water under the bridge. we have just got to do better now.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm wondering what you your refugee policy would be going forward. There's been a lot of criticisms of the administration for not starting um, the SIV, the special immigration visa program earlier, for not expanding it earlier. As soon as President Biden announced the withdrawal, uh, do you think that America has a moral obligation to take in as many Afghan civilians uh, who have supported the U.S. mission as possible?
1: Yes, and our allies. I think the Brits have said they'll take 20000 uh, I expect some of our other allies will take some. And yes, we have an obligation to these people.
0: And I'm wondering, there's been some conversations about potentially allocating some money in the reconciliation package towards helping with the refugee resettlement of Afghan civilians. Uh, can you provide any more insight into some of these conversations or whether or not you would support that?
1: Uh, Well, I haven't been part of any conversations about that. I'm focused on uh, my portion of reconciliation, which is transportation infrastructure. Um, I don't know whether it would be done there or be done in a special uh, expedited uh, appropriation, which uh, hopefully would be bipartisan. Hopefully, uh, Republicans uh, would support that as well as Democrats, and we could move it essentially as a non-controversial bill.
0: Right. Well, let's get to that this this big debate, which is ongoing and is about to become even bigger when you all return to work next week. Um, President Biden's infrastructure proposal, Speaker Pelosi has said that she wants to move the bipartisan bill and the overall budget bill at the same time, that $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, in order to keep Democrats unified. You have favored that approach. What is your message to Josh Gottheimer and the centrist Democrats who are uh, trying to force Speaker Pelosi's hand right now to um, to ditch that approach?
1: Well, I'm not certain how many of them are still taking uh, that position after this week and after some calls from the White House and after calls from leadership and after messages that I and others have delivered. I, I think we are coming together. Um, you know, the, the point is the House and and the majority of the Senate uh, including uh, the committees of jurisdiction, were essentially cut out of this so-called bipartisan deal uh, written by a rump group of senators, uh, self-appointed and endorsed by the White House. Um, and I've pointed to the fact that uh, if we're going to be serious about climate change, they they left out a lot of key things from the House bill uh, that dealt with climate change, uh, that dealt with resilience, uh, that dealt with reconnecting communities. Uh, you know, that dealt with wastewater, drinking water, lead pipes. uh, And I'm looking for opportunities. We're talking with the Senate, talking with the White House uh, on how we can build those things in reconciliation. But if we were to pass this bill as is, I don't know that we would even see a reconciliation bill come out of the Senate. Uh, I think that we have to hold them both. Uh, You know, they're saying, "Why, why are you in such a hurry for the infrastructure bill uh, it doesn't go into effect till October first. If we pass it tomorrow, it goes into effect October first. If we pass it September 30th, it goes into
0: effect October first. Well, actually, I, I want to ask you a little bit about the timing of the passage of BIF and the reconciliation bill, because, as, as you just noticed, as you just noted, this all could come to a head by September 30th, because that's when uh, all transportation programs um, that are being funded already by a one-year extension. Uh, that funding expires. So, do you think that the House is going to be able to overcome internal caucus divisions over the reconciliation bill in order to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill in time for uh, before that expiration on September 30th uh, of the funding for transportation programs?
1: Yes, I'm confident uh, we can pull together and do that. I mean, obviously, there'll be a key uh, test next week, but I think we're going to pass that test next week. Uh, And then members will have an opportunity to express their concerns to the various committees of jurisdiction uh, about what goes into the so-called reconciliation, which is essentially the American Jobs Plan. Um, You know, reconciliation is a pretty darn obscure word. We shouldn't use that anymore. Nobody knows what that means. It's the American Jobs Plan. It's the Family Assistance and Tax Cut Act uh, to follow up on the hard infrastructure bill and also to improve the hard infrastructure bill, which the Senate passed earlier.
0: And what are your biggest issues with the bipartisan infrastructure bill right now, parts of it that you would like to see change before final passage?
1: Well, I gave a short list. High-speed right. rail got uh, short shrift, uh, uh, the uh, transit section. You know, our transit systems in the United States of America in our major cities and smaller cities have $108 billion backlog just to come up to a state of good repair, let alone give people new transit options. Uh, their transit funding is very lacking uh, because uh, uh, control over that was given to one senator, a minority senator, the Senator Toomey, who hates transit for some reason. And, uh, you know, transit came up very short, uh, so I want to uh, backfill there, improve there. Those are things that will help with uh, carbon reduction and uh, congestion mitigation. Uh, And then uh, over on the uh, wastewater side, uh, you know, there's massive deficit across the country uh, for wastewater improvements or, or actually new systems or rebuilt systems. Uh, And I had a very robust plan there. Every million we spend on wastewater is 20,000 jobs in America. Uh, I did an event with Marty Walsh at the Pipefitters last week. They're pretty over the moon about the idea of me putting in more money into wastewater to help America's cities. When I was a county commissioner, we get a 75% federal match to build our system. Today, if we were building it, we'd get a zero. Federal match. Communities can't do all this on their own. Wastewater does not observe city limits, county boundaries, state boundaries, or even international boundaries. Uh, so this is a national problem. Needs to be dealt with a partnership with the federal government. So those are some of the key elements. There's also uh, issues that relate uh, to uh, aviation and uh, fuel efficiencies that we can get there that uh, were left out of their bill. Uh, there's some issues regarding ports and and other things that I want to deal with.
0: And how do you plan on going about dealing with it? Because I know that there was this agreement between the White House and uh, the G-10 uh, Senate leaders um, uh, who agreed on no double dipping, um, where uh, items that were included in the bipartisan package cannot be plussed up in the reconciliation package. Is that a guideline that you plan on following during reconciliation? And, And how is that how is this rule going to factor into the work of your committee?
1: Well, uh, I didn't sign that agreement in fact, uh, I don't believe anybody in the majority in the Senate, uh, except for uh, a couple of senators uh, signed off on that agreement. Uh, we're working with the White House to see if there are ways uh, around it uh, i can uh, I'm looking at creating new programs that are not uh, the same as the ones that were funded there. Uh, you know for instance, with high speed rail, I had a program which I think is critical uh, to uh, uh, make money available for high-speed rail that goes to city centers. Most of these high-speed rail projects around the country go to the periphery of cities, which means, you know, I was talking to a guy in Houston, he says, I live on the south side of Houston, this is on the north side of Houston, I'm not gonna drive an hour and a half across town to get on high-speed rail. He's says I gotta go to the airport. Uh, but there are projects proposed in a number of major cities in America where the high-speed rail would go into the city center. That's not in the Senate bill. So I think that's a new program. It's a different program. It's not double dipping. Uh, and same with transit, things that we can do in transit uh, that were left on the cutting room floor in their bill. Uh, things that we can do in wastewater. They took out all of my green infrastructure and wastewater, capture the methane, uh, use uh, systems for cooling water. There are natural systems cut down on energy consumption. Uh, you know, so again, those things are not in the Senate bill; they're different. Uh, so hopefully, uh, we can work uh, we can work our way through that.
0: And I'm wondering if if Democrats in the House are not able to sort out uh, the details and the contours of the reconciliation package prior to September 30th, would that would you be okay then with taking a vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill first?
1: I'm not going to speculate on failure. Uh, I think we can get this done. Uh, I have to have my portion done by uh, the 14th of September. Uh, And then the House intends to act on the full package the next week. Uh, It bounces to the Senate. Uh, The Senate is uh, hard at work on their version. Uh, And I would hope that the differences are minimal. I know there's a lot of coordination going on between uh, uh, Senator Sanders and, uh, and Representative Yarmouth. Uh, on the provisions uh, in this, uh, in this uh, Build Back Better, uh, American Jobs Plan, a Family Assistance and Tax Cut Plan. Uh, and uh, I, I'm very hopeful we can get it all done in time because we have other crises coming up on the 1st of October. Funding for the full government. Uh, right. Debt limit comes up not too long after that. We need to get the uh, reconciliation uh, and uh, infrastructure bills off the table so we can deal with those things uh, meaningfully shortly thereafter.
0: And and before we move on, I want to ask you about um, a tiny provision in the bill, in the infrastructure, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, but one that is especially relevant to your district because Oregon has um, one of the, uh, I think, most miners of cryptocurrency in the country. Uh, Do you support the crypto amendment um, that caused the holdup in the Senate as currently written by Treasury that? Uh, has broad language on taxing um, brokers of cryptocurrency?
1: Yes, as much as I know of them. I haven't looked at them in detail, but from what I've read in the press, I'll certainly look at them in detail uh, if there are alternatives offered in the House. Uh, But we can't can't just uh, let this be a totally unregulated uh, industry, uh, which involves, in many cases, criminal elements uh and potentially terrorist elements and others so uh you know we need some form of regulation whether well, that's exactly right i don't know that's not my uh, my area of expertise i'll be looking at that in more detail i'm certainly not aware that the that my district is a hotbed of crypto miners uh, maybe oregon uh somewhere is but i don't think it's uh, coming from uh, my district that i'm aware of i'll have to ask
0: and actually one more question on the infrastructure bills. um, I want to ask you about earmarks, uh, because there's not that much precedent for where earmarks should be in this legislation. Um, But I'm wondering where, you know, since this is going to be a model for where they should be, where you think that should be and how that might affect Republican support for the final bill.
1: Well, we had, uh, we restored member directed projects uh, with uh, very strict sideboards. Every member, no matter how senior, no matter how junior, had an opportunity for $20 million to direct into their district uh, for transportation needs that weren't being met by the uh, people in their state capital, by the bureaucrats there, or by the bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. Uh, the Republicans thoroughly scrubbed uh, their uh, proposals. We thoroughly scrubbed ours. Uh, they've all been po- submitted online, posted online. They have to show local support. They have to show consistency with the state transportation investment plan, uh, et cetera. Uh, these are meritorious projects, uh, and uh, I am looking at various ways. Uh, the uh, the so-called Bird Rule, a rule written by a senator dead 12 years, 28 years ago, which dictates how the Senate works. That's pretty crazy. Um, doesn't uh, explicitly allow. Uh, those sorts of things. I think it calls them earmarks or something. Uh, So uh, we are looking at other ways uh, to move those projects forward because I think they have tremendous merit. Traditionally, the House would do these projects legislatively. Uh, The Senate would not. We would go to conference with the senate and the senate would say well you got your projects we're ours and we'd say well well you didn't put any in oh no no we want ours well since we didn't have a conference that got short-circuited maybe you can work something out with the senate i'm working on several different ways to potentially get this done there's 109 republicans and almost all the democrats in the house that have meritorious projects that will benefit their constituents uh, in the in the bill that passed the house
0: and if a vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill were held tomorrow or today, would you vote against it?
1: Uh, it's not going to happen tomorrow or today or next week. So that's a hypothetical question.
0: And I want to get to a question from our viewer, Kenneth Edwards from Oregon, who asks, what is the state of America's transportation system compared to what we see in other countries? And how would you handicap the priorities?
1: Uh, We are, I think, now rated 14th in the world among developed countries. Pretty pathetic. We used to be number one for many years when the Eisenhower Plan started. And for decades after that, uh, 47,000 bridges, National Highway System need repair replacement. 40% of uh, the National Highway System needs restructuring, not just resurfacing. $108 billion backlog for transit. Uh, You know, wastewater systems failing all across the country. Water mains blowing up. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know, we get rates uh, from the American Society of Civil Engineers and others uh, ranging from, I think, some of our highest grades are C And then we get some that are down in the D's and the D minus category, depending upon the particular part of uh, the transportation system or infrastructure we're looking at. So we can do better. We should do better. The federal government has been absent as a partner for decades. Uh, states are doing it on their own, but they can't do it all on their own highways don't end at state borders. Uh, So the federal government has to get back into partnership with the states, with the localities, uh, to get this done and get it done in a way that's meaningful for the United States of America, make us more competitive in the world economy, less dependent upon fossil fuels, less emitting in uh, surface transportation.
0: And the infrastructure proposal isn't just the centerpiece of president biden's domestic agenda but it's also an issue that you've spent much of your career working towards is there (laughs) any chance that you would vote against this either bill if you're not completely satisfied with the final version
1: i intend to work hard to make them satisfactory and i will withhold any judgment until i see final products
0: There's been a bit of reporting that the White House uh, has sort of been taking your vote for granted here um, because they sort of view you as not wanting to tank the entire Biden agenda. What's your response to that?
1: Oh, I've had um, numerous conversations with the White House and uh, unlike uh, during the uh, so-called BIF, the bipartisan plan written by a rump group of senators, uh, they are working with us uh, to try and deal with the concerns I have about the bill uh, that came from the Senate. So I'm I'm confident that uh, they are not totally taking me for granted and they realize that we've got some work to do together.
0: It sounds like you were frustrated with the White House during BIF negotiations. Were, were, did you express that frustration with President Biden at all?
1: Uh Not personally with the president, but with his most senior advisors, yes.
0: In 2009, early in President Obama's first term, you did buck your party and you voted against his stimulus package because you felt there were too many tax cuts. Do you have any regrets about that vote? And and do you see any similarities between (laughs) now and then?
1: No. In fact, I was totally vindicated. Uh, Later, Speaker Pelosi, who was angry with me at the time, said, you were right. Uh, That Mm -hmm. jerk Larry Summers came in. Uh, We had a good bill out of the house, had a lot of infrastructure, real jobs, uh, school construction, other things that the American people would have seen would have created real meaningful jobs in what was essentially a depression. Um, And Larry Larry Summers comes in and says, no, no, we're going to spend most of the money on tax cuts too small to notice, almost $340 billion on tax cuts too small to notice. I just jumped up in the caucus. I said, Larry, that's brilliant. That's really bad economics and bad politics wrapped (laughs) into one thing. And that's what they did. And then they continued to pursue other tax cuts to try and get Republican votes that they didn't get. And the infrastructure was cut out. I went to the then chairman of my committee. I said, Jim, vote the committee against this. Make them bring back something similar to the House bill with real infrastructure in it. He said, no, no, I can't do that. And they promised me the next big thing will be our infrastructure bill. I said, well, you've been here longer than me. But in this time, what I found out is the next thing never happens. And sure enough, I wrote the bill. I wrote a massive transportation bill. And uh, a very chagrined Ray LaHood was sent down to talk to me and uh, to uh, the chair of the committee, uh, Jim Overstar, and say, I'm sorry, the president won't support that because you're going to raise the gas tax. And he promised not to raise gas taxes. And so, uh, so they never did anything more on infrastructure. And the, the, the next, when we lost the House, the guy who chaired the committee, the Republican, said, you know, if you'd won that debate, we probably wouldn't have won the House because you would have created jobs. So, no, I have no regrets. And, in fact, people who voted for it, uh, at least the Speaker and others, do have regrets.
0: And I'm wondering if you've been in touch at all with uh, any members of the Manchinema Caucus who have already come out against the $3.5 trillion price tag, and and how you would recommend um, messaging and communicating with them about why they should support a reconciliation bill of that size.
1: well, I'm I'm not in D.C. I've been home in Oregon for a couple of weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. But before the week before I left D.C., I had dinner with Joe, uh, Mansion, and and we worked through a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, you know, I'll continue to talk to him. I, I I understand him. I mean, I've got a red district. And I, I mean, his is like blazing red. Uh, but uh, I've got a lot of the same issues he does with my rural areas and and that. Uh, and so we have a, a fair amount uh, in common. So uh, I will continue uh, my conversations uh, with him, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, they will uh, they will come along. I mean, I haven't seen hard and fast lines in the sand. I mean, yeah, they've they've expressed concerns about the total spending, but not saying they don't want to do a bill, and not saying that any. I haven't heard of any of the president's programs proposed in that bill that they say they're particularly opposed to.
0: Right. Uh, did you guys have dinner on either one, either one of each other's houseboats?
1: Well, neither of us live on houseboats; they're real boats. Uh, mine's a boat; I might call his a yacht. It's quite a bit bigger than mine, uh, but um, no. And they keep calling them houseboats. No, they move; they're real. Uh, no, we we had dinner uh, at the club, and uh, you know they have very uh, very good food at a reasonable price. <laughs>
0: Have you lived on a boat throughout your entire 34 years in Congress?
1: No, I wish I had. I looked at the waterfront when I was first there, but that neighborhood back then was I went into the Safeway and they had armed guards in the Safeway. I'm like, yeah, this neighborhood's not too great. Um, it's changed, obviously, a lot. Uh, I've been living on a boat now for 13 or 14 years. I started in the public marina for uh, almost a decade, and then when the development happens, uh, I didn't know what was gonna happen to the public marina, so I moved over uh, to the Yacht to the Club. It's actually cheaper, but I always knew the optics were, oh, they're gonna run ads on you because you live in the Yacht Club, and I'm like, yeah, I know. But, uh, you know, living on the waterfront, having, having a neighborhood uh, and a community is fabulous. It's the least expensive way to live in D.C. You know, uh, uh, for what I pay for my slip and my electricity, and boat mortgage, some people are paying in condo fees in that neighborhood. So uh, it's it's fabulous.
0: And we only have time for one more question, Congressman. I was going to um, ask you about your dog as a dog lover, but instead I'm going to ask you, you know, a- oh. again, after 34 years of being on the Transportation Committee, what do you think are America's most pressing transportation needs right now, and does the Senate passed Version of BIF and potentially reconciliation as it is right now effectively address these needs?
1: Rebuild, uh, rebuild resilient, um, make it safer, better, complete streets, um, and also pass legislation that reduces our dependence on fossil fuels and transportation. That's critical for the American people, for our nation, for the planet. Uh, And I accomplished all all of those in big ways in my bill, not so much theirs, but we can improve it uh, and get done what we need to do. And, but just a quick aside, uh, we did just adopt a, a new dog, uh, came up from Texas, uh, a beautiful, sweet little black lab. We had uh, lost our other dogs. So we, we are oh, now- lost.
0: Congratulations.
1: <laughs> She's really cute. <laughs>
0: Um, Really quickly on the topic of fossil fuels, did you speak with Joe Manchin about the fossil fuel issue? You know, he's previously said he did not support anything in reconciliation that that zeroed out the use of fossil fuels.
1: Well, I didn't zero it out, but we made meaningful uh, strides toward reducing uh, dependence, uh, you know, with electrification. And there is some electrification in in their bipartisan bill. Uh, in my opinion, not enough, but we're going to look at ways uh, to enhance that. I mean, I, I held a hearing in my committee, the business mm-hmm. case for electrification, because my Republicans saying no climate stuff in this bill. I said, okay, oh, don't look at his climate stuff, look at his business. GM's going right. all electric. We had Fred Smith testify, no uh, liberal from FedEx. He's going all electric, but there's no place to charge his semis right now. There's four companies in the United States of America manufacturing electric. Semis. I drove a Volvo not too long ago, a 80,000-pound capable tractor. Beautiful, fabulous thing, made in America. Uh, but there's no place to charge it, so we have to deal with those issues. And there, you know, there are viable alternatives out there. Uh, and um, you know, we we just got to wean ourselves. It's not going to be like today it ends. You can't. Uh, but uh, we we need to have a plan to meaningfully deal with it and move away from it and save the planet.
0: Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today, so we're going to have to leave it here. But thanks so much for joining us. Congrats on the puppy and good luck writing this legislation, Congressman DeFazio.
1: Thanks. I can use that and more.
0: (laughs) I'm Jackie Alimany. As always, thanks for watching. To check out what interviews we have coming up, please head to WashingtonPostLive.com to register and find out more information about our upcoming programming. Have a great day, everyone.